the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. Thank you so much for joining us on this Sunday evening. Um, Tonight, as always, you know, for the last two years, we've been talking about COVID. In the next two segments, we're going to be talking about where are we now in March 2022. I think it's pretty much uh, dying down. It's not in the news as much as it has been. The masks have been disappearing, and uh, hopefully we're starting to get back to somewhat of a, a normal life. In the studio tonight, and by the way, we're live here tonight in the studios of WHK Radio. And I have to mention that it's time to wish happy birthday to WHK. For on March 5th, the radio station, WHK, is celebrating its 100th anniversary. 100 years ago, March 5th, 1922, WHK was born. And um, it's still here, and we're here with it, so we're so happy to be here. Tonight with us, we have Chris Phillips joining us, as well as Lisa Owen. We're going to talk to us about a couple things with COVID, as far as how is it? Is it really subsiding? Are we safe? Can we go back to normal life? And what have we learned with regard to medicine and telemedicine, and are we better patients now? Uh, so anyway, Chris and Lisa, thank you for joining us. Um, Chris, tell us, what, what's the status? You, you're um, always trying to give us some positive impact and results about what's going on with COVID. How are we at this point? Yeah, thanks for having me back on the show again. Um, as you know, I'm Director of Clinical Operations for Privia Health, a very large group. Uh, national out of Washington, D.C. We the size of your patient base? Yeah, over mind? 3 million patients. We oversee over 3,000 providers. And uh, I've been with you on the show a couple times from the very beginning of the pandemic. So I've, I've really kind of had the front row seat to what's practically happening out there. And this is definitely the first time I can come to you and say it's encouraging. <laughs> it is. Oh, good. I always called you, you're at the tip of the spear, as we say, because... Uh, you come in here after a, a week long of taking phone calls from thousands of patients and uh, and your team takes these calls and uh, decides what to do with them and as they're complaining about what their problems were. Are, are you getting a lot of complaints about COVID yet? Right. So we have about 20 nurses who work around the clock 24-7. We take around 3,000 calls a month. So I, I've seen it all. Uh, great news. Definitely a decrease in call volumes practically. Um Lower acuity, what we call lower acuity in the healthcare biz, that means people are not nearly as sick. Uh, common cold, people are often confused if they even have anything, which is really good. Um, as far as uh, physician and provider schedules, those schedules are, are wide open now. You know, it used to be where it was really hard to get people scheduled in. And there's just a really upbeat encouragement and hope. Um, let me talk a little bit more about so many of the great things I'm seeing happening out there in the front lines with our patients of all ages. Um, they're more informed. And they're more responsible patients, I believe. Patients, parents, and caregivers now. 
Um, I think everyone's really been schooled in mm-hmm. epidemiology. I think we all know the basics. And, and I think for the good, this has really stuck with people. They're much more mindful of their surroundings, of their healthcare um, risks and, and benefits. Um, I also see a greater connection to healthcare tech, like apps, virtual care, virtual visits. That's what Lisa, I'm excited to have Lisa. She's a strategic partner of ours. She's going to speak more at the second half about some phenomenal things they're doing with uh, hospital-at-home type AI stuff that's really, really cool. Um, But people of all ages are really vested in their favorite providers and apps and virtual care. Uh, Greater conviction on healthcare choices. And that's been a good thing. I know this has been very polarizing and draining for society and for families and individuals. But um, as a certified case manager, someone who really looks after uh, the well-being of patients who are in chronic care management. It's it's nice to see that people really have deep convictions. I think they've done a lot of research, and they really know where they want to go now with their health care and vaccine journey. Um, so I think that's been really, really good. Uh, let, me, let me give you a little spoiler alert around the corner. Okay, we can use spoilers. <laughs> as, as I season look, one, epi- oh, this is season three, episode oh, one, go ahead. <laughs> well, as I work with very large populations, um, including high-profile employer groups and public schools across the country, we're excited, but we're still bracing for spring break. You know, I know for those of us on the front lines, uh, we're not going to really feel out of the woods until we get past about 10 days past spring break. You know, that big travel, mix it up type of time of year, especially now that masks are down. We're very, very hopeful that we have cleared this. On top of this, our top medical directors in population health, we're all watching what's going to be coming out of Europe, uh, India, other parts of the world. As, as you know, nothing's really originated here. You know, we, we, we talk about everyone uh, being compliant, at least in understanding what's going on or trying to understand what's going on. Uh, the last round we had with regard to a surge was Omicron and that variant going on. Uh, I heard of a variant called VA2. Is that a variant that's making any progress or did that flame out already? That's not come up on our radar yet. So what we believe is that um, Omicron um, was such a jolt to the American communities, mm-hmm. that that was enough to to really you know jolt most people's immune system, whether they are vaccinated or not. I think that's kind of we're basking in that right now. Um, I was reading that even this most recent recent outbreak in Hong Kong was related to Omicron because um, they had such strict lockdown measures that finally Omicron got out and moved quickly. So I'm not seeing any evidence of another variant or a variant of concern um, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. come to fruition here. So we're, we're pretty excited about all of this. So there's a lot of good things happening. I think did, we've matured. Did, did we learn a lot during this pandemic with COVID that uh, has changed our, our providing uh, medical care to people that we can carry forward? And we'll, we're, we're going to get another pandemic sometime, another, another year or years from now. But... Um, how will we handle that differently? I mean, I think people have just absolutely grown in their own concern, depth, <laughs> understanding of, of their own health care, health care journey, what they believe about vaccines, about preventive care, uh, just a maturing, a real maturing. I think this is also really tested and tried many doctors and providers mm-hmm. uh, to really make sure that they have the tools available for something like this, where... Um, you know, they have 
they've vested in really good uh, patient apps and virtual visit platforms and open scheduling um, communications with their patients that's very vivid. So we've definitely grown a lot. And um, I, I think we've also really taken control more of our own testing. Um, you know, all of these testing kits out there, um, the government's been giving You're out. saying the patients are taking more control? Right, yeah. You know, being able to have kind of a home COVID kit ready to go. Mm-hmm. So if they have um, some testing kits at home, they understand, most people understand when to use a home rapid kit versus when to seek a PCR test from a lab, like at a CVS or Walgreens. Um, I think that, um, you know, people and, and providers, physicians together have learned that vaccination is no longer just a mindless thing you do once a year, but it's a deep-held conviction, and it's, it's a critical part of everyone's wellness journey. So to really be linked up with the right doctor, the right health system, um, that's going to get you through this, this journey, you know, this COVID journey long-term as the pandemic turns into an, an endemic, hopefully. So, yeah, I, I just think it's been a very maturing and bonding, hopefully, of uh, patients to provider and physicians. Um, that's very healthy. Well, we've seen a lot of division in the country over it, just like beside masks, vaccinations. With 3 million patients, uh, how helpful was it having them vaccinated? Oh, I mean, very. You know, um, people can just argue over the statistics and the news feeds. You know, you, you go to one news station saying one thing, another saying another. But when you actually work in healthcare on the front lines, you definitely see, um, you know, how important, um, you know, vaccination was. Um, the people getting uh, sick who are vaccinated uh, definitely had a much easier time of this um, and, um definitely did not have the, the level of acuity, what we call acuity or hospitalization or, co- or post-complications. Um, but, of course, we've honored everybody's, you know, rights and personal choices through this. Well, hopefully we're not going to have as much division uh, the next time around, and hopefully we're going to get back to normal as, uh, as, soon, as, as soon as possible here. But uh, as, as far as what the next year brings, I think we will be back, and we, we just have a short time. Uh, we're, we're going to come back. We're talking to Chris Phillips from uh, Privia and uh, talking about what's going on with the COVID virus and how it apparently seems to be under control. We're going to come back and we're going to talk to Chris as well as we're going to talk to Elisa Owens, and she's from COSAN Group. We're going to talk about the delivery of medical services. And I'll be asking her questions about what did we learn and, and how are we delivering medical services to patients. So we're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words, so don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. Don't go away. We'll be right back. This is WHK, Color Channel 14, Cleveland Radio. Where your hearing swings, where your hearing swings. And now, back to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. Well, welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you. I hope you enjoyed that jingle from WHK going back, oh my goodness, about 50 or 60 years when uh, WHK was only 40 years old. Now that it's 100 years old, quick century. And uh, now we're, we're, I think, getting through COVID. 
we have in the studio tonight, we have Lisa Owens, Vice President uh, of Kosan Group, the Kosan. What does the Kosan Group do and how are you involved in all of this? Yeah, hi, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, COSAN is a, a technology and clinical support staff um, organization that we support doctors and healthcare care um, providers, enabling them to have additional care and support for their patients in between their office visits. Um, so in talking about COVID particularly, mm-hmm. um, what COVID's done is really catapulted us in general in healthcare into a new age of adoption of technology in healthcare, not only for the younger uh, population of people who are already used to using technology, but particularly for the older adults. So uh, for especially at the beginning, uh, many patients couldn't come in to see their doctors uh, face-to-face and or they were nervous uh, and began to do virtual visits with Mm -hmm. their providers. Uh, so now more than ever since then, uh, older adults are more receptive of using healthcare technology. When we say healthcare technology, are we talking about like Zoom meetings and that kind mm-hmm. of thing with doctors? Yep. Uh, so video calls and uh, even texting and uh, just using different means of technology rather than just the traditional phone call. Was it hard to get the doctors and nurses and everyone into that system? At first, it was. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but we really had no choice, right? So, at the very beginning, right? You 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 couldn't go in and see your doctor. Um, Most medical offices closed down and required all of their patients to be seen virtually. So, Uh, now what what have you seen from the quality of care? Because uh, maybe people think they have to sit in the doctor's office. Put on a, a sort of a, a paper vest or something, and have the doctor look at them and check their heart, uh, and consider that like 100% great patient care. Uh, with regard to like the Zoom meetings or the virtual video medical teleconference, uh, how are you finding that? Are people getting just as good or, or nearly as good medical treatment? Well, I would say uh, in general the. Uh, really what we've seen over the last couple of years and what our organization does is we've really began to move healthcare more out of the office and into the patient's home. Um, so uh, what COSAN does is we're uh, supporting services. Uh, I'll explain one is called chronic care management, mm-hmm. which Medicare introduced back in 2015 as a way for patients to have connectivity with their doctors in between their office visits. So um, you know, care doesn't stop at the visit. They go home and they might have had medication changes, have referrals for their specialists that they need followed up on. Um, and uh, this is a service that en- en- enables them to have that additional care and support mm-hmm. and follow up from nurses. And so that's really what our organization does is we're helping support those doctors and those patients. What would be an example of a patient uh, involved in chronic care management? What kind of chronic conditions are we talking about? Really um, a a wide variety. So your typical hypertension, diabetes, um, obesity, um, uh, chronic uh, kidney disease or uh, asthma. Mm -hmm. So really any of those conditions would qualify the patient. They'd have to have just two or more and um, need additional, you know, medications or some kind of treatments. And this could be done now over a, a video teleconference. It can be done over a yeah. video teleconference or even over the phone. So, 
um, you know, Medicare has really been in encouraging and empowering patients to get these services. Um, and I think we all know Medicare doesn't just arbitrarily, um, you know, provide additional uh, money or, or services mm-hmm. that uh, aren't adding some benefit to the, the overall patient's care as well as reducing cost of care for patients. So they've seen the program really be successful. In the, after the first two years, they actually did a study that showed that it reduced patients' overall cost of care by, um, I think it was like $97 per patient per month, which is uh, a lot and adds up. Times but, millions of patients. Exactly, exactly. Wow. So, you know, we, we talk about CCM, uh, uh, the program and the, the habits that people are forming with regard to how to accept their medical treatment and how to participate and how to participate in technology. Um, I would hope these are going to stay after the COVID thing goes away. Do you think that's going to stay? Yeah, definitely. And actually, um, you know, I mentioned in 2015, these services were originally introduced. Well, every year thereafter, Medicare has not only uh, continued to expand the I guess, suite of different services that are available, you know, moving on to like behavioral health integration, which is a similar program that's um, intended for patients with one or more behavioral health conditions, such as depression, anxiety, uh, substance abuse issues even, um, so they can get that focused support for Mm -hmm. those conditions. Also, remote patient monitoring and what that is, is again, technology. Um, taking blood pressures and weights and being able to, in real time, have that information over to the doctor or the care team to review and update the treatment plans. How would a remote patient management uh, person get their blood pressure information over to the doctor? Do their own blood pressure and tell them? Yeah. Here's what I got. Yeah, so uh, like we'll send out devices that are uh, 4G LTE enabled Mm -hmm. um, that they'll check their blood pressure, and um, it will automatically uh, be synced to their nurse. And the doctor can see that in real time. Um, Their nurses can see that in real time. And can if there's an issue, they'll call the patient and, you know, manage that. Uh, It's really neat, actually. Are are the patients happy with this, do you think? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's, um, I think it provides also just that reassurance that somebody's keeping an eye on you uh, mm-hmm. in between your, your visits with your doctor, a little bit of extra education and support. Um, and, you know, so often somebody goes to see their doctor and maybe there's new medications and things they don't understand. So to have somebody to call them and explain those things and um, help them kind of navigate the, uh, the, the healthcare spectrum has been really helpful. On the behavioral treatment, Mm -hmm. does this include like psychologists and stuff? Can people actually get a psychology consultation uh, over the internet or, and, and how is that working? Yeah, so they um, they certainly can. So there's actually a variety of different programs that mm-hmm. Medicare uh, supports for behavioral health, uh, and from the most basic is uh, providing you know the primary care provider to have some oversight of those behavioral health conditions and working with a psychiatrist, um, and up to you know uh, more in depth uh, meetings with the psychiatrist on an ongoing basis and having a behavioral health care manager actually uh, supporting that. That person as well. Globally, is this keeping more patients out of the hospital? Yes, and that's really the intent of the programs: is to you know reduce hospitalizations, unnecessary uh, emergency department visits, unnecessary testing, um, and keep them aging in place in mm-hmm. their own environment for as long as possible and keeping them well. 
Uh, sort of a business question. Your your company, who hires you? The healthcare providers or a health system or does the patient call you? Um, the healthcare providers. So we work with doctors and um, different healthcare providers across the country. What about artificial intelligence? Is that part of the technology you deal with? Yeah, so we work with, um, it's interesting, a a voice bot that can actually call patients, interact with them, uh, be able to establish a baseline of their voice pattern and then detect uh, anomalies in their voice pattern using almost the voice as another vital sign to identify any risks um, or particularly patients with um, uh, behavioral health conditions before they actually have uh, any any bit of a problem, it would actually detect that they're having some um, some change in their voice pattern in general. Almost sounds like science fiction. <laughs> and, and Chris, how does Privia work with that? Is it part of one of your partners is yes. all working on? Yeah, that's what I brought, Lisa. Um, this is all about uh, hospitals without walls. I mean, this is real frontline stuff. We were all developing this together before COVID, mm-hmm. and COVID just absolutely propelled it. Um, into existence, and it's very successful at keeping patients. And we're only growing in this area. Um, you know, we're looking at just adding more and more high-tech, high-acute hospital, literally hospital-type care in the home with real-time monitoring integration with primary care. I just read um, an article by John Hopkins University that did detailed studies on this and saying that um, overall they can decrease the cost of these chronic care patients by 30%. Um, decrease their length of stay, and, of course, decrease their risks of being injured. Because so often, you know, to the best efforts of hospitals, being in a hospital is a dangerous place. And um, so, yeah, we, we've been propelled in this world together. Together we manage over um, 3 million patients, and it's been a, a beautiful ride that's only going to continue, we believe. Well, it sounds like overall things are improving in healthcare at a lower cost. So I'd like to thank you tonight. Uh, Chris Phillips from uh, Privia Health uh, and... Your headquarters is where? Out of Alexandria, Virginia? Yes. I thought so. And also Lisa Owen of Cosan Group. You're here in Cleveland? Yeah, we have an office here in Cleveland, in Rockside Road. right now. And you're national? Um, yes, we're across 30 states, but we have uh, four offices in America. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you for being here. Well, thank you for both for being on. And uh, sounds like that's good news for healthcare and, and COVID as well. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK. We'll be back after these words, so don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. In the next two segments, we're going to be talking to Trent Milliron of Cloud9 Computers to talk to us about the risks we all have with our data and cyber attacks, especially with what's going on in uh, Ukraine and the Russians attacking at this point. Uh, Trent, thank you for joining us again. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you do and what Cloud9 does and what you do with regard to cybersecurity. Sure. Um, well, Call9 um, is an IT services company, you know, um, and we mainly work with small to medium businesses. And uh, what we really do is uh, we act as an outsourced, I guess you'd say, IT department for these companies. 
And of course, included with that, uh, you know, besides the general, uh, you know, IT support and management of IT systems, what has grown over time and is, and of course, included with with our offerings is, you know, the security component. And, and this has grown over time as, as client demand has grown for it as well. But um, obviously, we're protecting their, if we're acting as their IT department, we have to protect their systems. Um, and so we've we've really grown into a security consulting company as well over time. So, um, and with a with a focus on small to medium businesses. We, we hear the term cyber attack. What is a cyber attack? How can it affect a, a business owner or just a, a private person? Yeah, I mean it's um, so that's a, you know it's a broad ranging term. It, it could mean a whole lot of things. I think in the in the business context. Um, it, it would mostly mean a ransomware attack, um, and that's where you know where hackers infiltrate your systems, and then they encrypt your business data, and then they demand a ransom to get your data back. And that's that's the most common with business because they're really when hackers are focused on a business, they're really looking for a payout. It's a money-driven activity, but there can be you know, an attack uh, can, so there's what, you know, that's the monetary, I'll call it the monetary attack, you know, on a business. But there can be, um, you know, like in the case of this conflict in, between Russia and Ukraine, uh, during an armed conflict or war, which is, this is kind of new, is that, you know, this is, a piece of it is cyber warfare. And uh, in this case, and there, this is not a monetary gain they're looking for. Hackers from Russia are, uh, it mostly, ha it's going mostly one way at this at this time, which is Russian hackers are you know, infiltrating Ukrainian government systems and business systems, not with the intent of stealing money necessarily, but to take their systems down. And so it's a different. It's basically the same product, which is kind of interesting. It's instead of encrypting your data and then demanding a ransom, as in a business, uh, you know, where they're trying to get money. In this case, they encrypt your data and never give you. There's no way to recover it. So their their goal is to what they, is a wiper. It's called a wiper program, and their goal is to wipe those systems clean and to cause irreparable damage that can never be recovered. And that's the way that that's kind of being conducted right now in, in that war zone. Have we ever seen anything like that before, where there's a regime that is actually looking at just destroying and making unusable uh, vast amounts of data? I think it's, uh, you know, I do think it's new. You know, it's it has been done before. It's actually, interestingly enough, it was the first time a program was seen like that, or one of the first times, was back in 2017, and it was between Russia and the Ukraine even then. It was Russia doing it to a Ukrainian um, accounting firm and all that accounting firm's clients. That was the first time that a, a major wiping program was used like that. But um, it's to see it on this grand scale where this, you know, um, during this, this this is the first, I would say this is the first armed conflict in which cyber warfare is playing a major part in, in the conflict uh, with with the idea of this, you know, causing real damage. And and there's even, yeah. Go ahead. I, I'm, I'm next, go ahead. Finish your thought because I have another question. Well, I think, you know, I think it's, you know, this, this could go, you know, this is an interesting time because... I also think it's probably the first time that, you know, I, I always think, so what, when you think of hackers generally, right, you think there's probably a little bit of a moral limit 
to what they do. For instance, let's say, you know, let's say they, they hack into a business and they steal some money. Yeah, that that's wrong, but you know, it's not it's not physically hurting anybody, you know, and it seems to be using cyber in this warfare that there's a potential there where they're where the, the morals have come off and where they could they can use this tactic to actually hurt people. And that's a kind of an inter, you know, it's it's something that people haven't really considered before, you know. Well, just with uh, public utilities uh, in Ukraine and, and other mm-hmm. places that are um, regulated and operating through through computer data and being vulnerable yep. because they're on the internet. Uh, right. For the cyber war to get across all these miles from Ukraine and Russia over to the United States, uh, that takes just moments because we're all connected globally, instantaneously. Yeah. And, and also, Russia has been engaged in cyber warfare and um, the kinds of program development and programmer development and operator development that could net Russians, at this point, maybe thousands of operators who can just be working the Internet for anyone that Russia perceives as an enemy. Uh, how likely is for that sure. to be going on now? Well, you know, it's interesting because we were I was discussing this with with uh, with Cranes Magazine the other day, and uh, we were talking about how at this time, at this point in time, it seems that most of the activity uh, of these, um, you know, these these hacker groups have been targeted at each other. You know, the Ukraine and, and Russia, they, it has not so far spilled out of that area too much. They don't seem to be, there's not much activity hitting the U.S. yet. Now, I don't know how, if that will stay, I mean, uh, you know, if that type of because it, I would I would guess we could we could see an increase in activity pointed towards us in the U.S. if if the saying if these sanctions you know really hit hard and it hurts their economy or uh, but right now they seem to be they they seem to be pretty preoccupied in that area and in fact what's kind of interesting too is that like for instance like Ukraine put out you know the president or, or vice president somebody there asked you know they said you know it's kind of a call to hackers of the world like help us out. And that was, and so they've got this kind of, there's, so there's hacker groups on each side, and they all seem to be, um, I guess a lot of, I, what I'm trying to say is the hackers of the world seem to be focused on help, on, on attacking each other in that area, I guess you'd say. So it's kind of a, it's it's like they're preoccupied right now, and they're not turning their attention to their normal activities of, of ransomware and things like that. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that it's not happening at all, but I'm just saying it, it seems to be directed right in that area right now, so. Well, it does pose quite a risk if, uh, let's say, some of the large banks in the United States literally get shut down and uh, all of us uh, civilian depositors are, are kept away from getting money out or transferring accounts or anything. That, uh, well, I mean, there's so much that could be done. That, that's, they haven't turned their attention this way as much as I think that, um, you know, that, that was maybe portrayed, at least not yet. And I, I do use the word not yet. But... Um, yeah, I mean the potential is could be devastating. I mean, what they're doing to the Ukraine, um, you know, taking down their infrastructure, uh, could they could they could potentially do that here. I don't think that the United States is well prepared for for a real attack on our infrastructure. And for the most part, for the most part, hacking groups have not targeted public infrastructure in the past because, as I said, there's kind of this like moral limit that a lot of hackers kind of put on themselves like hey we don't want to hurt people we don't want but mm-hmm. but in a wartime those kind of gloves come off and so 
Hackers could easily, I think, attack public systems and public services here in this country and, and possibly cause harm. Um, you, know, you, banks, you think our water services systems, are well? You know, are our public services well prepared and able to defend and uh, I, I, keep keep away from the attack? No. So the you know I was just I was reading about that actually recently, and I was listening to the Homeland Security Director talk about how just underfunded they are and how the so so all so the protection of public infrastructure in the United States falls under Homeland Security, and their um, their cybersecurity division is poorly lacking, as as the director says, and you know is, is not prepared at all for for real attacks on the public system. So that that was kind of an eye opening eye opening article I read, and um, you know he was also talking about how now. On the flip side of that, he was saying how he he hopes that the NSA could help because the NSA has got one of the best cybersecurity teams in the world, but they don't, but they currently don't collaborate, which is kind of interesting. So, um, you know, he was hoping for more collaboration between the two departments to help. Well, maybe things will change a, a little bit. Uh, we're we're talking to Trent Milliron. He's from Cloud Nine uh, Computers. And we're talking about cyber attacks, we're talking about the Russian-Ukrainian war that is going on and whether or not cyber attacks will spill over to this country. Uh, we'll be back talking to Trent and finding out what we can do to protect ourselves uh, in the upcoming cyber war that may, may spill over to this country. We'll take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. We're talking tonight to Trent Milliron from Cloud9 Computers, talking about the possibility of us being cyber attacked. Uh, and just to mention that, uh, that Trent's going to be featured in uh, Crane's Cleveland Business coming up on March 14th. And uh, also he's launching a new book called... Uh, the cyber storm: How to protect your business from data breach and the resulting cyber storm of fines, lawsuits, and customer loss. Uh, Trent, thank you for joining us uh, again and, and being with us, helping us through these uh, troubled times. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, as we were talking about uh, cyber attacks, now that there's a war out there uh, with Russia and Ukraine, and uh, the United States is sort of siding with uh, Ukraine that uh, the Russians uh, have the weapons available, the cyber weapons, and they could attack us. What uh, can we do to protect ourselves as individuals, either small business owners or just uh, us mom and pops that uh, have our computer in our den and we have all of our accounts that are out there in cyberspace? What can we do to protect ourselves? Yeah. There's so many so many avenues as a, you know as an individual there's so many avenues in which your data is exposed not not just from your from your own actions nowadays but also from the actions of all the or I'll almost say the inact the inactions of companies that you've given your data to so um you know if you'll find that a lot of data breach so if you're just saying you know at a personal individual level right you know all of us are giving our data to you know uber and um you know uh whatever you know some kind of uh, you know, some 
sort of an app, right? There's a million apps out there, Netflix, uh, whoever, you know, you're giving your information to these companies and, and they get breached probably more often than you think. And when they do, uh, your data gets exposed on the on the web. And actually, you know, there are certain, we utilize a dark, you know, what, what that's called the dark web and, and then your your data and, and payment information can get out there and that's how your card can get fraud charges on and things like that. Usually a lot of that comes from, from data breaches on company on other companies' sites. Um, and you can check those. There are dark web scanners online. Uh, you could even contact us, and we could do a dark web scan for you, which you're happy to do. Those are all free. Um, the, uh, you know, the other thing, you know, from a personal level is, is you have to be very vigilant about the emails that you get. You know, that's that's one of the top ways, you know, what they call phishing emails. And this goes for both businesses and individuals. Um, where, you know, they'll email you, like, from Netflix. It may look like it's from Netflix. You log in, give them your information. The next thing you know, they're they're in your account. Now, I mean, obviously, they're, they're targeting more things like banks probably than Netflix. But, um, you know, it's not uncommon to get bank emails that look like bank emails. And once you put your credentials in, they're they're trying to get into your bank account. So that's from, you know, from the personal level, there's things like that. I mean, things that you can do to prevent. I mean, I think everybody personally should have a password manager of some kind. You know, there's LastPass that's out there. There's Password Boss. Um, these are just, well, these are free free programs or free trials to try. But, you know, they'll help you store passwords and and create complex passwords real simply. And then that way you're not using the same password over and over again for every site like everybody does normally. So from an individual level, those, that would be the What were those applications again? Uh, one would be LastPass. That's probably one of the most – yeah. And another one would be What's Password the, Boss. I talked over you on that. What was the first one? Uh, LastPass. And these are all free on the uh, Internet? Mm-hmm. Well, the question I have is that we're so uh, sensitive about our personal data. It's sort of like the, the three magic uh, bits of information about any of us, that if you put them all together somewhere, uh, you feel extremely vulnerable, and that's your full name with your middle initial, your date of birth, and your social yeah. security number. Uh, are, am I correct in being terrified to throw that information out there? Yeah. Yes, I tell. I actually had that discussion uh, with my parents. Actually, often, you know, like, um, you know, I think I think what concerns me, and you know, I see this see this all the time, is that you know, when you're, you, we should all be concerned about who we're giving our data to. Like, let's say, even if you go to buy a new car, right? You, let's say you go to buy a new car and you get that form. Let's say you get the loan form and you're filling that out. Well, every single bit of information about you is on that form, right? And that, so that dealership, so then you've handed right. that to the dealership, and then what do they do with it, right? Who knows, right? It ends up some, some employee has it. It gets scanned into a system. And But I'm just saying that there's so many, your data touches so many people and places nowadays, and and, and it's, it is sacred, man, because once you, you know, you have, to, you have to be vigilant with your data. Only give it to trusted sources if possible. So I mean that's you know there's there's always ways it's going to get out there though and that's that's um yeah that's kind of well difficult, I mentioned you know I, I mentioned the three main things your name your date of birth and your social security number but the the fourth thing out there that we try to protect are our passwords and it, it's yeah. daunting I mean uh, I I must have over a hundred different uh, accounts where I have a username 
and passwords. And yeah. I know we should be changing our passwords frequently, but we have everything from uh, bank accounts to uh, hobby groups to uh, news feeds. Everybody wants a username and password. Is there some the, the simplest, clearest advice on how to manage all of these things? And you mentioned these these manager applications, yeah. but are they trustworthy? If we're going online, we may be dumping all of our personal information out to some easily compromised uh, application. Uh, it's, it's a yeah. terribly yeah. troubling time. Yes, you know, uh, we, we've discussed that internally as well. I mean, you know, in our, I've thought about that. I mean, they take, the password manager companies take extraordinary steps to protect your password data. Um, you know, I, I would say there's no foolproof way. I, I haven't seen one of them get breached yet that I'm aware of, um, but it's not like it couldn't happen. So, um, but here's the thing, you know, I know that, for instance, let me give you, I can give you my example, which is just me, you know, like I had. You're a techie, uh, though. You're probably the best. Yes. <laughs> right. No, I should. No, this, but because see, I didn't cause this breach. That's what's interesting is that my, so I'm, I'm like everybody else, but I had a complex password. I, I created a phrase password, you know, um, that, you know, was, that would have been difficult for a computer to crack. Right. But I use that phrase password on like, you know, 50 different sites. So, um, you know, and eventually one of those sites, I can't, I think it was, uh, it was called Nitro PDF. It's a PDF software site. They got hacked. And and um, so because I bought that software at one point, they had that password in their database. Now, that password then got leaked to the dark web. And then so now all these hackers out there had that phrase password, although it's a complex password that I had now used on other sites. So technically, they could go and they could take that password and try it on all the most common sites. And it would probably would have worked on a bunch of them. The only reason I even knew that that even happened was because... We have a continuous dark web scanning service that I'm using, that we use internally here in our company, that told me that that, that had been exposed to the to the dark web. But here's the thing: after that, I decided, hey, I got to use a password manager all the time because a password, what a password manager does is it will generate a different complex password for every single site, and that way you're not that way you're not stuck in that. Oh, I'm going to use the same password everywhere, right? I mean, and so. And so that's, I really see a real value in password managers. I'm, I, you know, I think every personal person should have one, from, and, and even business people, you know, so. Well, let me ask you this. We have a couple minutes to go, but uh, I, I know yeah. about the only thing us poor, feeble uh, civilian people can do is to manage our passwords and, and be prudent mm-hmm. about all of that. But um, mm-hmm. with regard to these password managers, uh, what, what if they develop a bug and we're locked out of, their whole website. Are we then prevented from getting into anything? I think you would be until it was fixed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my! Well, that's plus it's in my. What's yeah. the worst yeah. risk uh, to do here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But here's the thing: you could always then reset your passwords and things if that ever happened. Right? Should be able to eventually, since you would have access to your email and things like that. Well, I would. Call I mean, you and see if you can help. I guess. So. <laughs> that's right. Good point, yeah. Uh, you would call us, a big, correct. A big help. A big help. But, uh, well, in, well, in any event, um, this is an area that is uh, really something we should all be paying attention to and all be worried about. And when we're watching the international news uh, every day and every night, even though it's on the other side of the world, it can't come over here and bite us. 
so I have to be very careful. Sure. So Trent, well, Trent, thank you for your information. We'll uh, we'll have you on again as, as we watch the situation develop over in Ukraine and uh, Russia and see what happens. But uh, Trent Milliron, thank you so much uh, on behalf of you and Cloud9. Okay, thanks. Yeah, good day. Thank you. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great week. Stay safe and stay healthy. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With nothing to do until morning Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.